Hey, good morning, Heart of the City Church. Thank you for having me. It's just an honor and a privilege, and Pastor Craig makes me sound a lot better than I am. Just a normal guy that loves Jesus, honestly, and really thankful for him. I was thinking about this in worship. I don't know how anybody preaches in this church. It is so anointed, and the worship is so good that I don't want to preach. I just want that team to keep going, and we did that last night. It was a lot of amazing time just in the presence of God and waiting in His presence, but Thank you again, like Pastor Craig said. I'm Johnny Schmelzer, a pastor from Joy Church Medford. And so it's just an honor. I oversee all of our discipleship and pastoral care and kind of the boring theology stuff that's not too boring to me that I love. But love Jesus, love the local church, love missions, love seeing lost people come to know Jesus. There's a lot of things I could preach on. Not preach on those things today. But before I dive in, I just want to say thank you to your church for having me. I said this last night, but honestly, I have honored and admired your pastors for many years from afar. I've always thought, who are these like beautiful, young, fiery people that are coming from Idaho at MFI conferences and they're praying and prophesying and I've really looked up to and honored your pastors and so it really is just the honor of a lifetime to be here with you this morning to share the word and just different ones of your leaders. It's been an honor to get to know them and can't wait for youth camp with the students this week. We're going to have a lot of fun. <clears throat> I still work with youth and so I'm dressed up for Sunday church today, but we're going to have some fun this week and get pretty wild and have a blast. So I can't wait. It's going to be an amazing couple of days. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, this isn't in my notes. They probably don't have it out there. I want to just start briefly. If you'd go with me to the book of Luke chapter 11, verse 1, we're going to dive in there and then kind of jump all over God's word, but kind of a simple thought this morning. Being in your church, this is a Holy Spirit church, a presence of God church. I love it. I'm not ready to leave. I'm thankful we got another week with you guys. And so I don't think maybe this morning I'm going to teach maybe anything new to you. It's probably stuff that you know, but I feel like maybe I could just encourage you, put some gasoline on the fire of what we're going to talk about this morning. And so I think you're already doing this from as far as I can tell you, already our church that lives this out. And so maybe you think, man, that guy didn't say anything new, but if I could just encourage you in this, I pray that it would. In Matthew chapter 11, as we look at the topic of prayer this morning, it said, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, I love this, Jesus did amazing things, you know this, he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he walked on water, he multiplied fish and loaves, amazing signs and wonders and miracles. But when you open up your New Testament, what's amazing to me, what's wild, is his disciples weren't actually, and they were captivated, captivated by that, but they never said, Lord, teach us how to raise the dead. They didn't say, Lord, teach us how to do that like walking on water thing. You guys live right by a lake. That would be pretty cool, right? I'm doing my first Ironman 70.3 next Sunday. And so I know you guys have a beautiful one here in Coeur d'Alene. I want to do it so bad. Like that would be a lot better to learn that from Jesus and run across that water rather than swimming in it, right? We went down to the lake this morning and I saw these people doing like their training and their swimming. And I was like desperate to jump in with them and get some training in, but didn't do it. I'm here. I'm dry, you know? I've tried walking on water and I don't have that anointing yet. I've tried it. It hasn't worked, honestly. If you want me to be truthful, I'm like, Lord, if you said we could do greater works than you, let me try it. And I was like, sink, you know, didn't work yet. <laughs> but there's so many things. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to do that. Multiply the fish and multiply the loaves things. That would be really great, especially in youth ministry when they eat everything like locusts that consume, right? <laughs> the thing that captivated Jesus' disciples was the way that he prayed. Something happened when the Son of God closed his eyes or lifted him up to heaven. When the Son of God communicated with his Abba Father, his disciples were consumed by it. I would give anything. We can read them, right? I love John chapter 17, the longest recorded prayer we have of Jesus and getting insight into what happened when the Son of God filled up with the Holy Spirit of God lifts his eyes to his Abba Father. 
There was something about the way that Jesus would get away often and early. I'm an early morning guy. That's a gift from God because I think most prayer people are early morning people, but you can do it all night. For all the night owls, Jesus prayed all night too, so you haven't been left out, okay? But there was something about the way that Jesus prayed that captivated his disciples. And when they saw him pray, that was the thing that stopped them in their tracks. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And I don't know about you, the longer I'm a Christian, the more I just desperately long to know how to pray like Jesus did. You know, I think prayer keeps you very humble. You know, Pastor Craig said, I'm, I'm a theology nerd. I love to study. You know, going to school isn't hard for me. I delight in it. I have about six months, I think, left my PhD, and I'm sad that it's over. I love homework. I love it. I'm already looking at more programs because I'm just one of those weird, crazy people like that. But can I tell you, you could be a doctor in theology, and I feel very humble in prayer because I feel like you, you never graduate prayer. I don't think, and you know this, right? You never get to this place where you have it all figured out. And I honestly come probably daily, if not weekly, and just say, God, teach me to pray. Lord Jesus, teach me to pray like you did. Teach me to connect to Abba like you did. God, teach me what it means to walk with you and to please your heart and to hear your voice and to not quench you, to not offend you, God, to not resist what you're doing, but to connect with you like Jesus did. And wherever you fall in this spectrum, can I encourage you something? This encouraged me that prayer can be learned. Prayer isn't a muscle that you're just born with. And it's like, yes, you know, prayer isn't a spiritual gift. It's not something that some Christians have and some Christians don't. It encourages me that prayer is something that even Jesus' disciples, after living with him and walking with him and ministering with him, they looked and they said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And you know what Jesus did? He opened up with some instructions to teach them how to pray. And this morning, if I could do something very simple, I just want to hit on a few elements all of us know that we ought to pray, right? Probably many times on a Sunday morning, Pastor Jay is up here yelling at you, riding his motorcycle on this stage. I've never seen that in church. That is so cool. <clears throat> I'm going to find somebody at the motorcycle. We do not have a blessing of the bike, but I'm going to find an excuse to do that at our church, you know? <laughs> I can say a lot. I'm not going to say a lot. I'll just get back to the word. It's awesome. I love that. Like, I'm never going to, I can't wait for the 11 o'clock service to see it again. <clears throat> I know, I think many of us, I, I think honestly, a lot of Christians live with a low-grade guilt. They don't pray enough. I don't pray. I don't have enough faith. I don't do a good enough job. And if I could just come this morning, I want to encourage us in the spirit of prayer. And I really believe even this morning, not even just individually, I think it's very easy for us to look at the topic of prayer. Yes, it's this beautiful, intimate relationship that we have with God. But also there's this corporate expression that we have as the body of Christ, right? That isn't just you and I individually connecting with God, but it's us together as the, as the local church, the body of Christ. And I really believe this morning that God is going to even just ignite a fresh flame in this house to draw us and to stir us to pray. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into the word further. Father, we love you. Lord Jesus, we honor you this morning as we just sang, as we took communion. Lord, we remember your body that was broken for us, and we thank you, God. Lord, we thank you for the blood that was shed to wash us and to cleanse us and to sanctify us. And Lord Jesus, we come this morning as your church before anything else just to magnify you, to glorify you and exalt you. I pray in every one of us. Lord, that your name will be lifted up high above every other thing. God, every dream, every hope, every ambition, every desire in us, God. Even the fears and the worries and the things we brought with us this morning, I pray we'd lay those things aside. And God, this morning, in a fresh way, you would be glorified and exalted. Lord, I ask you, like your disciples asked you, that you would teach us to pray. Lord, this morning, we come humbly. 
Lord, as your disciples, we just come to sit at your feet and we ask, teach us, Lord. Lord, open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. Teach us, God, what this means. And I pray today that every one of us, God, would leave with fresh faith, with fresh strength and fresh encouragement, God, in this area of prayer. Speak to us this morning, Abba, in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. If I could share with you from God's word and maybe just a little bit of experience this morning, I think one of the most radical, life-transforming revelations that I think that I've had with the word of God in prayer was just this absolute shift of not coming into prayer with this idea that I'm overcoming God's resistance to my prayer. You know, prayer is kind of a, a fascinating topic to me, and it's actually a pretty theologically deep one, because we talk about these things like prevailing in prayer and staying in prayer, praying all night, praying early, praying, you know, this almost this feeling like if I could pray enough, maybe I could twist God's arm to do something. But I want us to see this morning that yes, some of those things are true. There's persistence in prayer. I love long prayer meetings. The longer, the better for me at our church, you know? But I want us to see a few things, a few verses that, that change and transform my life as we open up this morning. Luke chapter 12, 32 said this. This rocked my world when I said it. You know, I had this feeling like if I could just get God's attention, if I could earn it, if I could twist his arm, if I could convince him why what I need to be done is good enough, this, this feeling of always being worried. Is my prayer right? You know, I'm a theological nerd, so is it theologically accurate? If I miss one little thing, then maybe God's not gonna answer. But here's what he said in Luke 12, 32. He said, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's what? Good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I used to pray this prayer like this, Father, let your kingdom come. <clears throat> right? I love it. I love intensity. But something shifts when I realize, Abba, you want your kingdom to come more than I want it to come. <clears throat> and Father, it is the delight of your heart. The joy of your heart is the coming of your kingdom. And I'm just going to tell you something. Your prayer will shift when this spirit gets on the inside of you. We're gonna see it in the morning. Your kids shouldn't have to beg you for food. Your kids shouldn't have to beg you for what they need. And many of us are coming to God as beggars when he's invited us as sons and daughters. <clears throat> and if I can be transparent, I lived a lot of my Christian life like a beggar, feeling like I had to, yes, there's humility, but I had to come to God like a beggar and I had to twist his arm and I had to give him enough good enough reasons for why he ought to do what I asked him rather than saying, Abba, I'm your son. And Father, if I'm your son and you are the one that's invited me to do this and more than I want whatever I'm asking for to be done in prayer, you delight. Do you hear that word? It is the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. As you're praying for your church, God wants the kingdom of heaven to come to Quarter Lane more than you want it to happen. <clears throat> When you're praying for healing, I used to come with this spirit that was like, I just really got to pray, you know, really passionate. But when I realized Father wants to heal this person more than I want them healed, something will shift in your prayer when you realize it's his joy, it's his delight, and it's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. I love this quote from Martin Luther. It changed my life. The reformer, not the other one, the junior. <laughs> he said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. Listen to this. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying a hold of his willingness. I want to say, that if you get one thing today, forget anything I've said, write that one down. Prayer is just saying, God, what you've already promised you want to do, I'm just asking you to do it. 
God, it's, it, the more that you learn his word and the more that you learn his heart, a confidence will rise in you, a boldness, a courage that says, God, I know that you want to do this. And even as I pray, as we're gonna see in some of these scriptures this morning, I don't wanna get ahead of myself, but there isn't really in the Bible a theology for unanswered prayer. As we're gonna see this morning, Jesus always assumed that Abba would answer us when we called on him. And we're gonna see that this morning. And I pray if I could just stir you up a little bit that you would leave this place with, as a bold son or daughter with faith to ask something of your Abba, amen? amen. Let me read this to you. A.W. Tozer, unbelief says some other time, but not now. Some other place, but not here. Some other people, but not us. And I think some of us, if we're honest, that's kind of how we view it. Revival happens somewhere else, but maybe not here. Healing happens in other countries, but maybe not here. Whatever it is that you're believing for God. But listen to this. Faith says anything that he did anywhere else, he will do here. Anything that he did at any other time, he is willing to do now. And anything that he ever did for other people, he is willing to do for us. If we get that in our spirit and we know prayer is not trying to overcome his reluctance, but it's just grabbing hold of his willingness, we will pray different. So I'm gonna give you a whole bunch of adjectives this morning. I said I like adjectives last night. Let me give you some more. Here's where we're gonna go this morning. I want us to look in the word of God, especially the New Testament, how to pray bold, confident, tenacious, persistent, passionate prayers. You ready? I'm gonna go through those this morning. The first one is this, bold. We come praying like sons and daughters. We come boldly. How should you pray? What's the spirit of priority on this a little bit? But you come as a son or you come as a daughter. I love this. If you read Matthew chapter six, the entire context is, I'm not going to read all of these verses, but it says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And what does it say? And pray to your father who is in secret. I want you to get this. I believe this theologically with all my heart and I believe it experientially. It says this, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Can I give you a guaranteed promise from Jesus that every single time you go in the secret place and you spend time with the Father, God will bless you. Every single time, it is impossible. It's denying the very words of Jesus, his promise. When I go into prayer, we have this saying in our church, we say, you can go in one way, but you must come out different than you walked in the prayer room. Right? There's a lot of days. You can come in tired or weary, discouraged, depressed, whatever. But if you believe this and you will walk out, even if you feel the same spiritually, something has shifted. We gathered our church for prayer Sunday through Friday morning, like six mornings a week. And I just got to find someone to open up Saturday. Maybe one of you boys. You want to do it? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and these are two of my guys with me, awesome leaders in our church and disciples. They just finished their third year of Bible college. So happy to have them. But Right, we gather and I just get excited. I get excited for that early cup of coffee at 6.30 a.m. I get excited to spend time with brothers and sisters in prayer. But I get excited because every single morning walking out of that room, I said, Jesus, you promised something. I don't mean rewards like something in this world or money or finance. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm saying his favor's on me now that I walked out of this place. His blessing's on me. There's fresh anointing. And I can't tell you how many times you walk in that place one way. But when you spend time with your Abba, you will walk out different. I pray that God would shift something in us. Listen to the way that Jesus talked about prayer in Matthew chapter seven. Many of us read it like this. Ask and it might show up someday, maybe. I'm not asking what it says. I'm asking how we live. I think many of us say... <laughs> no. You guys are awesome. And I'm not here being critical of anybody because I'm the guy that lived this way for many years. 
I'm a guy that lived the most of my life with no confidence in prayer and not having a real intimacy with God because I felt like all of it depended on my performance and how much I could, how good I could pray or how much I could twist his arm or I had to deserve it. But when these words started to minister to my heart before anybody else, and I said, God, Jesus, you're the one that invited the saint. Ask and it will be given. So Lord, I don't understand why what I'm asking yet hasn't been given, but I'm not going to move my theology to line up with my experience. I'm gonna just wait until my experience lines up with what your word says. And I'm just asking us, I'm just asking us this morning, where did we learn that God doesn't answer prayer? Who taught you that? Because Jesus didn't. I think I talked to a lot of people, you know? I talked to a lot of people that it's kind of this idea like, well, you know, I don't want to get in too many of the theological weeds. There's a lot of stuff there. We could go fight and debate later. That's what we did our PhD program. That's all, that's all we do is fight. <laughs> but sometimes people have these ideas about Jesus not answering prayer, God not answering prayer. We're so worried if we got it right. And I go, have you ever read the words of Jesus? Like, and some of your Bibles are actually all read. They're not that hard to find. I, I don't mean, and I just mean this. I want to live this where he says, ask and it'll be given. And when we come to prayer, I come as, we come as sons and daughters. You know, if you have a good father, a good mother, you just come. You're not afraid. You know, at our church, we call it refrigerator rights. Like when I go to my mom and dad's house, I don't, I don't, I don't beg. I'm, I'm not like, mom, could I grab something? I just walk in the door. My mom's Italian. I rip that thing open. I look for some pasta. I look for some spaghetti sauce. I grab, it's a miracle I'm thin because she loves feeding us. But Jesus said, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. And I'm just asking. I know it's, the, it's very basic. It's very simple. But what if we lived like that was true? Because it is. And we said, Lord, what you said is I can come boldly. I ask, I seek, I knock, and I have the promise that you will answer. Get this in your spirit. Everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks will find. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And then he puts it in this beautiful context of coming like sons and coming like daughters. He says, which one of you, if you ask the father for bread, will give him a stone. Or, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? How much more will our heavenly father you know, I love this word. I think I heard Pastor Craig talked about it a few weeks ago, this word Abba that Jesus used for the Father. Without getting too much into it, he used this word that was so inappropriate for God. It's reverential. It's, it's understanding he's Father and he's holy, but it's also using an intimate term of affection for your dad. And Jesus comes and he puts prayer in this context saying, yes, he is high and he is holy. You know, we, you could go get an amazing scriptures. Go to Revelation chapter four and see this beautiful picture of the angels circling the throne and crying out God's holiness. You can't preach the holiness of God enough. It's impossible. We couldn't, there's no human words to accurately express how exalted and glorious and wonderful he is. And what literally the Bible says the Jews wanted to kill Jesus over is he addressed his holiness. I think the most beautiful mixture of this is in John chapter 17 when he said, holy Abba. And Jesus brought these two parts of God together in John chapter 17. He recognizes, God, you are so holy. For you and I as believers, if not for the blood of Jesus, we could never approach this God. But then what Jesus did, nobody had thought to do before. He says, that holy God looks at you as a son or a daughter. And I know that you know this up here, but what about this 18 inch journey of getting it from up here to getting it in here? And I know for me, maybe I'm just preaching to myself. 
I want to live as a son. I want to live as someone that knows, God, you are so holy. Even as the scripture says, I could not approach your throne if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus. But if this is real and I get to approach you as a son, then I get to come with boldness and I get to come as confidence as a son of God. So how do we pray? Number one, we pray bold as sons and daughters. The second one, I've already hit on it. Number two, we pray with confidence. And I really pray that in this season, God would just stir the confidence of his people. But I think in prayer, there is a holy, humble confidence that ought to fill our hearts when we pray. And I just want to tell you even in a minute, a couple of stories about this, but there, there's a wrong humility. If I come again, it's the same imagery, but to my parents, and there's like that beggar spirit that's just wanting something, they're going to say, cut it out, right? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Confidence isn't pride. Pride is something different. Confidence is taking Jesus at his word and confidence honors him. Right? Confidence in prayer honors the Father because saying, God, I actually believe this stuff that you gave me. And I think for many times, most of the time, what we call humility is actually unbelief and doubt. <laughs> I just, confidence in prayer saying, Jesus, I believe that you are who you said you are. And I believe that I will bet my life on every single promise that you've given and I will live like the true. And I won't even wait till I start seeing some of that stuff happen in my life. I'll start by faith, by living on your word. I'll, I'll live the way you called me to live. I'll pray the way you called me to pray. And there's a confidence that comes, a holy confidence. Now, I could give you so many scriptures. I have all of them written down, but I don't think we're going to have time for all of them. Let me just give you a couple. The Lord Jesus said, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Listen to this. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. This is where confidence comes from. If you ask anything in my name, what? I will do it. Do we believe that? Do we come to times of prayer and say, God, this is your promise? A couple of things. I think the major, when I want to pray, I want these concepts. God, is this according to your will, the best that I know in the Bible? And number two, is this for your glory and the good of other people? There are a few scriptures, just a few in the Bible that say basically if you ask with the wrong desires that you won't get it. But actually every time that Jesus speaks about prayer, every single time, if you can find an example that proves me wrong, come and talk to me after this. I've never seen one. Every single time that Jesus talked about prayer, he assumed there'd be an answer from the Father. Not once does Jesus ever speak about prayer assuming that God would not answer us. And once again, if your heart to prayer comes with this spirit that says he might or it might happen, where did you learn that? Because you didn't learn it from him. I remember the first time I was brought face to face with this reality. I was with an amazing MFI missions church in Cambodia. I remember we were doing, they're the wildest praying church I've ever been with, just Holy Spirit church. And we went out into the villages and I remember we'd go door to door doing evangelism. These were all Buddhist people. Most of them had never heard the gospel before. And I remember their strategy for evangelism was there wasn't even doors. These are huts. And so they kind of like just shout at somebody to come out. And they'd come and we'd, they'd share the gospel with these people. And most of them wouldn't believe. They, they, they said, no, we're already Buddhist. We have our own religion. We're not interested. And they said, bring out all your sick people. And I, I remember the first time I literally, I could tell you, I remember the first time this happened. And they said, bring out your sick people. They said, Jesus will heal them. And I was, I was fresh out of Bible college, American kid. I'm like, you're not allowed to say that. <laughs> I'm like, shouldn't, shouldn't you qualify it? Shouldn't you say Jesus might do this? Shouldn't you say Jesus is able to do this? And I remember being with them, and I won't do the accent if I was at my church tonight, but they had a great, beautiful accent. But they said, 
I'll say he might or he could if I ever see him not do it, but he always does. Wow. I remember hearing that. And they said, I've never seen him not do it. So we just say he will because he always does. And I remember my skeptical American heart started to grow a little bit bigger. And I remember the first time standing there and saying, Jesus, you're going to do this? I remember just thinking, like, we can really, like, again, I want to be careful with the language, but, like, we can put you in these situations where, like, if you don't show up, like, your name gets kind of dishonored and disglorified or unglorified. And can I tell you something? I never didn't see him do it. He did it every time. Honestly, that messed up my theology for many years. I couldn't get over it. As people started getting healed, blind eyes would be open. And they'd say, now go to that person. There's another blind person in that village. Bring them over. And people started getting healed. And demons started to come out of people. And signs and wonders and miracles. And the supernatural move of God was the norm. And I would see this day after day after day, week after week after week. You couldn't go to a meeting where Jesus didn't do what they promised he would do. And I started to think, I think that my views of him are wrong. I think they're probably based more on my unbelief and maybe our culture, if I could say it, and less on his word. Let me just give you a couple more. John chapter 15, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. John chapter 15, 16, he says, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. John chapter 16, 23, he says, truly I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Charles Spurgeon said this, if you believe in prayer at all, expect God to hear you. If you do not expect, you will not have. God will not hear you unless you believe he'll hear you. But if you believe he will, he will be as good as your faith. I could give you, how many more do I have written down? One, two, three, four. A lot more scripture. I'm not going to read all of them. If you look at the words of Jesus, I just want you to imagine for a second, if you could erase everything you'd ever thought about prayer and all you did was take what Jesus taught, you would be convinced that anything I ask of the Father, he will give it. If I'm asking it for his glory and the good of other people. You know, a lot of people ask me, well, what, <clears throat> what if you have one of those prayers that's right in the middle? Pray it anyway. When I have stuff, I go, God, I don't know if this is your will, but I'm going to ask it in faith and I'm going to pray for it. And if you want to show me it's not, then I'm excited about that. Right? The closest thing to an unanswered prayer I can think about from Jesus was in the garden. I'll get to that in a minute. But when Jesus is crying, like, he had the faith of relationship with the Father. To say, I'm even asking something that might be outside your will, but I'm asking it anyway out of relationship with you. And Jesus got a little bit of a different answer than he asked for, but he still got an answer. Right, but if you looked at every word that he preached, you'd be convinced that he would do it. I know in my life, one of my, my biggest prayers is saying, God, stir up this confidence. God, stir up this faith that I've seen some of these believers all over the world. I think one of the gifts that the global church has to offer us as Americans is just simple faith in his word. His absolute simple faith in his promise. I've seen ordinary, simple, uneducated believers all over this world that all they have is this book, but they believe it. And they just say, if he said it, we believe it and we'll live on it. And you know what happens? Every time they ask him, he does it. Confidence in prayer. I remember my first pastoral visit. I was a young guy. I don't, I, I don't know. As a full-time pastor on staff at our church. And this lady was terminally ill with some kind of illness. And I was like, why are you guys sending me on this one? Like, this is not a good warm-up, you know, for a, a new pastor. <laughs> and I remember we walked in the room and this, she was like tubes down her throat. Like they, they told me the next day she's going to die. But the moment I walked in that room, the Lord said, she won't die. She'll live. I'm like, I am not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been with my friends in Cambodia that said, just ask him, he'll do it. 
I remember we, I, she couldn't speak. She could barely write. And they said that tomorrow, she's like, we're taking her off life support. She's gone. And I said, what do you want? And she barely could write out, like, I want to live. Beautiful. And I used her first name and I said, I know this is crazy. And I know there are all these doctors all around here that say it's impossible that you're going to die. But I said, I believe that Jesus is going to heal you. And there's just something about it. I, I don't recommend saying that stuff unless you're really sure. But I think there's that spiritual gift of faith that when you know that you know that it's God, you just got to go for it. Yeah. I remember I said that and I went home and I barely slept, right? You ever had one of those nights where I go, God, I can't believe you told me to say that. Like, if this doesn't happen, you're in so much trouble. <laughs> and I had no idea that that night as she'd go to sleep, she'd have a vision of Jesus coming and using her first name and saying, I have more purpose for your life isn't over yet. I was walking into the front, I was walking in the front doors of our church and I saw this car like come to a screeching halt and her kids jumped out and they said, Pastor Johnny, there's no medical explanation. The doctors took her off life support and she's just surviving. A couple weeks later, that lady was back in our church, healthy, whole and healed. I don't even like using just stories like that because it makes it sound wild and crazy. That should be our daily experience of just saying if he promised, if he invited us, we had a different day. At our, it was a Wednesday morning. For us, Wednesday is kind of like the closest thing to a day of prayer that we have. So we have early morning prayer at 6.30 in the morning. Maybe I get the acoustic guitar can join me as we kind of get ready to close this thing. And I remember um, I was just in the prayer room praying, just doing our thing. And I felt the Lord say, begin to intercede for an anointing to heal. And I'm like, God, I don't, like, there's nothing healing oriented going on. So I'm just interceding, praying for healing. Like, okay, Lord, I didn't have any opportunity. We came for lunchtime prayer that day. And again, I felt this like compelling from my spirit saying, begin to pray for an anointing to heal. So I'm praying, praying, praying. Didn't make sense to my mind, but I've learned sometimes it doesn't make sense to your mind. Just get over it, you know? And we go into youth group pre-service prayer. Again, I'm like, God, this is a youth night. Like, we don't really do that much healing at youth group. Like, maybe some kid's gonna come like with a broken arm and praying for it. We're in worship. And the only thing I could feel was pray for anointing to heal. I'm like, God, this is not the message, not the series. We did the whole service. And like, there was never an opportunity for healing. Nothing ever happened. And I was like, well, that doesn't really make that much sense. But God, I, I honored your word. And all of a sudden, I see these three people in the back. I didn't even think they showed up to service. And they kind of waved me to come. And so then I knew, I'm like, oh, God, you set me up all day for this, you know? <laughs> and I walked to the back of the room and they said, Pastor Johnny, um, this is our, our little brother. He has some, I forget what kind of cancer, but some form of aggressive cancer. The doctors have done everything and he has a death sentence. And they said, tomorrow morning, we're taking him up to Dornbecker's in Portland. And it's his last chance, but there's really no hope for him. They give him however many months it was to live and he's gone. And again, there's a confidence that rises up. And I remember the second they said that, I just knew in my spirit, it just rose up. I could just feel the tangible presence of God hit that spot. And I said, I know this is crazy. And I know that this probably won't yet make sense to your mind, but I believe with all my heart, Jesus will touch your little brother and heal him. Again, there's a confidence. Not a he might, not he could. And I get, we all, I've prayed for people that should have lived and they died. And it doesn't make sense to my theology yet. But I'm urging us, Heart of the City Church, don't match your, your faith with what you've seen and experienced. My best explanation is we live in a broken world and there's a real devil and there's real sin, but we don't accommodate to that. We just take Jesus out as well. Remember, I laid hands on this kid and I, I, hard to explain, but I could just feel the presence of God hit that spot. And one of those times you just know that you know that you, I didn't even worry that time, I just knew. A couple months later, guess who walks into the youth group? Hey, we have no explanation, he's healed. He's whole, right? That kid's still living today. And 
I could give you story after story. A simple verse that changed my life was just John chapter 16, when the Lord Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And I'm off the notes, but I just feel that. I remember this, something shifted in me where I said, God, I'm not an orphan anymore. I have an Abba. I had a wonderful father, so I don't know where I picked all that stuff up, but I got this spirit in me that was like, I just got to earn it and deserve it and twist his arm and do all this stuff. And a whole lot of doubt and a whole lot of unbelief. And if you're an academic person, that just kind of comes along with the personality. And something shifted in my heart where I just said, God, if you promised it, I will never doubt it anymore. I'll never ask if it's, I'm never going to try to figure out what the details of it could happen. But if you said, ask anything, I'll do it. I will come, not just with boldness as your son, but I'll come with confidence knowing that you will keep your word. What's the secret to answered prayer? Number one, make God's desires your desires. Jesus said this, oh, this is in 1 John. If you ask anything according to his will, he hears you. Number two, if God's desires are your desires, pray whatever you desire. This is the beautiful thing about prayer. When God puts his desires in you, then what you're asking him to do is what he longs to do. And it's where God's desires partner with yours and you get to pray the will of God onto earth and know that God will answer you. And so in 1 John, says we have the confidence towards him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we have asked of him. I'm going to fly through these last points. Number three, we pray with boldness as sons and daughters, with confidence as his disciples, but we pray tenaciously, with tenacity as his friends. You ever have a friend that you didn't want to do something they asked and you didn't do it because you wanted to, but you did it because of a relationship? Again, it's a flaw. It's just an example that the Bible gives. But God invites us saying, you are my friends. What did Jesus say? I no longer call you servants. I call you friend. Do we come to prayer with that boldness, that courage? I remember getting a call from that friend that's like, bro, ready for a kefir? I'm like, anywhere on earth, I'll buy a ticket. I don't care what it costs. I don't care if I lose my job. I'm going with you, man. Let's do this. Like, you got friends that you, you pull on that relationship and God invites us with a tenacity. A tenacity that says, and the example is in Luke chapter 11. It's that friend that goes at midnight and the Bible uses this crazy word that's like shameless, this impudence. It's like you shouldn't have the courage to ask God that and God says, hey, come and try it. Like I know this might not make sense yet up here, but come and try asking me with tenacity. Number four, we pray with persistence. I use this word not because I'm Calvinist, I'm not, but it says praying is the elect out of Luke chapter 18. Jesus uses that example of that widow, right? I think many of us, we give up right, we're on the, we're on the edge of breakthrough. Once again, I think many times God allows a delay in our prayers being answered because he's doing something deep on the inside of us. I think about one of my favorite stories of Elijah when he's praying for rain and he's praying for rain and the first time he prays, nothing happens. Second time, nothing. Four, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. What if he stopped praying on that sixth time? One of my greatest fears in my life is saying, Jesus, what if I stop believing and stop praying and I lose faith in you and I had no clue when that seventh prayer rain was coming. I actually think that the first time he prayed, that cloud started moving. It just took some time to get there. Maybe you didn't have to pray seven times, just believe it on the first one and start moving, right? I think about a different example. I think it was Elijah or Elisha. I mix them up sometimes. You can be a PhD and still mix them up, you know? <laughs> and he told the guy, strike the arrow on the ground in faith. And the guy does this kind of like limp-wristed whatever. And he's like, if you did it more, God would have given you victory. And I'm just saying, heart of the city church, don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. I don't know what God's giving. I don't know what you're praying for. 
Again, many times, maybe you're praying for healing. It hasn't happened yet. Keep believing. Maybe you're praying for a child, your husband and wife, and you haven't seen it yet. Keep believing. What does it say? It said this woman comes with this persistence and she just keeps on praying. And it says God will not delay long over His elect. He will answer their prayer. If I could put some fire on you, don't lose heart and don't lose hope. God will answer. Right? Some of your prayers get answered quick and some of them get answered long. You just keep coming with persistence. And the last one is we pray with passion. We don't pray apathetic or cold or lukewarm. We pray with passion as His beloved. I love in Hebrews chapter 5, you want to know what Jesus prayed like? I think one of the only descriptions, not just of the content, but the, the form and the manner. It says, in the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death, and He was heard because of His reverence. What does James 5 say? It says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it didn't rain. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. You and I come with this beautiful example of being the beloved of the Father. We get to come with this beautiful intimacy. What are we? We're the bride of Christ. And I even think there's an invitation into intimacy with the Father. I think about the church that Jesus is coming back for as a praying bride. I love in the book of Revelation, what is it? The Spirit and the bride join together in that Maranatha cry and they say, come Lord Jesus. Jesus is coming back for a church that prays like this with boldness and confidence. They're not coming like slaves. They're not coming like beggars. They're not coming like illegitimate children. They're coming saying, Abba, I love you. And there's a passion that comes that knows I'm your beloved. You will pray differently. I love Matthew 3.17. What did the Father speak over Jesus? I said it last night. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Church, we will pray very differently. When you come, you say, God, sometimes there's somewhere and say, God, I'm a mess. I'm horrible right now. I don't even like me. You ever been there? <laughs> Whatever it is that you're walking through, but God, I'm your beloved. And God, you don't see me the way I might see myself. You might not even see all the things I'm aware of. God, you delight in me. And I'm not even just a son. But Lord, if I'm part of your church, I'm your bride. And you delight in me. You love me. And you come with that spirit. You will pray differently. You will approach the Father differently. How do we pray? Boldness as sons and daughters. Confidence like his disciples. Tenacity as his friends persistent as his elect and passionate praying as his beloved I want to read one more scripture and just pray over you if I could give you a, a call church is that you would just do this if I could put some gasoline on the fire of prayer that's already burning bright in this church what is the father's invitation if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Once again, I'm not even initiating prayer and trying to get God doing something. Every time you pray, you're just responding to the invitation He's already offered you. I try to remind myself every morning when I wake up, like God's, He doesn't even sleep. He's been awake and ready for that. Sometimes I feel it. Sometimes I walk in the prayer in the morning, I get this sense that God's been really, really, really eager all night for me just to get my lazy butt out of bed and meet with Him. 
You ever feel that in the morning? It's like, I just think he's ready. Sometimes I walk in the permit, 6.31, and he's already speaking. I'm like, whoa, you were up early this morning. You've had your espresso. If I could just invite you, church, into that level of prayer, what would that look like? Number one, just four simple things. Every one of us as individuals, what if we committed to a lifestyle of prayer? Wasn't it something we did even corporately? Wasn't every once in a while, every day, devoting our lives to this? What if we began committing to fasting? You know, in Matthew 6, Jesus assumed that fasting would be the regular practice of his disciples. What if you took one meal a week, one day a week or a month, whatever, committing to seek God's face above all else, and then if you would do this, I can promise you, the Father will meet your church with revival if you will pray. Amen? Can I just invite you to stand up with me this morning? I'll do the prayers a little bit backwards. just going to pray maybe three things really quickly. I just actually sense really strong right now that God wants to just break off. If maybe you come in this place and you have that feeling, maybe when you approach God, maybe it's that orphan spirit, maybe you just feel like, I don't come like a son, I don't come like a daughter, I don't feel the Father's pleasure, the Father's delight in me. I just really sense, even this morning, just that fresh baptism in the spirit of adoption, that even this morning, for many of us, I believe you're going to walk out of this place and something's going to shift in your heart. You're going to come to this place where you just know I'm loved by Him, I'm delighted by Him, and your prayers are going to shift, I promise you. When you come like a son or daughter, it will change. Can I just ask you to be so bold? If that's you, I'm going to pray. If you just lift up one of your hands so I can see it. I'm going to pray over us this morning, church. For any one of us in this place, I want that fresh spirit of adoption in my heart. Father, I pray for each one. God, each one who prays this. Father, I thank you. They are your sons and your daughters. And God, I thank you as your word says that before they were even formed in their mother's womb, you were already working in them, God, delighting in them. God, thank you that your word says that you, your thoughts towards them are more than the sand of the seashore. You love them, God, and you see them as your sons and daughters. You will not deny them. You will not reject them, but God, you will answer them. So I pray for that fresh spirit of adoption in every one of us in this place, especially those responding, God, that they would leave this place this morning knowing they are sons and knowing they are daughters. And they are loved and adopted by you in Jesus' name. Second, if you just want a fresh stirring in that spirit of prayer, would you lift up your hands with me this morning? I think it'd be a shame for us to talk about prayer and not practice prayer. Just for one minute, Heart of the City Church, can I just ask us to begin to lift up our voices right now? Can I ask us to begin even just to pray as loud as we sing this morning? And begin to ask the Lord to stir a fresh spirit of prayer on the inside of us. God, I lift up this church. Can I thank you for Heart of the City Church for your beautiful bride here in Coeur d'Alene. And Lord Jesus, I ask once again, teach your church to pray. Lord Jesus, teach your bride to pray once again with the fire of the Spirit. God, I pray this morning we would learn to pray like your sons and daughters. Lord, I prophesy even in this place that confidence would rise up, a fresh boldness, God. Lord, a fresh courage to know that what we've asked of you, you will answer. Come on, 30 more seconds from your heart. Just lift that up. Lift up that prayer. On just the last 30 seconds, begin to pray for the kingdom of God to come. Begin to pray for His will to be done. Lord, I thank you for this church. 
God, even as growth and expansion, I pray, God, for your kingdom. God, to advance. God, I pray in this season for souls to be saved. God, for disciples to be made. God, I pray that the kingdom of God would not just come with words, but demonstrations of power. God, I pray for this church for a fresh outbreaking of signs and wonders and miracles. Lord, that your signs and miracles will follow those who believe. We welcome it, God, this morning. Come and have your way. God, let your kingdom come.